When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello, everybody, and welcome to a brand new episode of Analyzing Everton with me, David Hughes, and of course, uh, Josh Williams. Today's episode is a Q&A special. Um, it's something that we did on the Analyzing Anfield podcast, and there was a couple of Blues who, who reached out who I think may may listen to both, which seems quite bizarre, but obviously the, the football fans so much enjoy doing so. And they asked what to be an Everton version. Well, this is it. Uh, and obviously we put the questions out on social media, uh, on Twitter, on Instagram as well. And we've, we've got quite a few to get through today. Uh, but before doing so, I'll, uh, I'll go over to my co-host, Josh, and ask Josh, how are you? Good mate. This is our first, I think, first Q and A ever. I think. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember doing one with Everton. Uh, obviously, we've done a couple with Liverpool, haven't we? But uh, it's a new one with Everton, and it should be good. Hopefully, you know, there's there's some good questions in there. That, I mean, there's a couple that we we had to take out, but it's uh, it's more so that they just weren't necessarily stuff that we'd cover on this podcast, which is quite normal, isn't it, Josh? Like that, and sometimes on the Analyze and Anfield ones as well, where. It's just better that we don't kind of speak about things that you wouldn't consider our speciality, I guess. Yeah, it tends to be financial sort of stuff, really, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Get asked about finances and things, and that's a complete different level of expertise, really. Yeah, there's one, one or two of the stadium as well. Obviously, I, I know as much as anybody who's listening. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm just looking for updates through the likes of the Echo and things. So, uh, yeah, I can't add much insight onto that. But... Um, we'll, we'll get straight into it. Um, and one of the first questions we had come in is to actually from uh, at a bag full of toffee, <laughs> um, who and I actually speak to a little bit now on Twitter. No, he seems quite a nice, cool person. So, um, they've said, uh, has the Rodriguez transfer been a success for me personally? It's a no, I can't really say with his injury record and games that he's missed. Uh, that he's added enough to the team. Uh, although I am eternally grateful for the pass to the Charles and for the goal against Liverpool uh, at Anfield last month. Um, Josh, I think it's best maybe you start us off on that one. It's in the second question, actually. We've never, even in the analysed Anfield questions, we've never really had a, a one like that. Uh, but I think for me, it, it, it depends what he was bought for, I suppose. You know what? What was the idea with this player? What did you get him in for? Um, and you know how far off what he's contributed is what you expected. But, but I think, I think was it. Did he arrive on a free? Yeah, technically, come out. We, we we assumed initially it was maybe around twenty million, but news broke a little bit later, a few months down the line, and it was actually a free transfer. And it's it's a relatively short contract, isn't it? Like two years, maybe. Correct. Yeah, with an option of a third. Yeah, well, I mean, without knowing what wages he's on, 
but he, he, even if he's on a daft wage, I suppose, you know, you've got the player for free. I, I wouldn't say it's been a, a failure. Um, a success might be a bit of a push, but I wouldn't say it's been a failure either. I think specifically in terms of the points that this player has won so far, almost, almost on his own. I mean, you know, think of the games that so far this season, specifically early on, without Hammers playing, would Everton have picked up three points or even a point in certain games? And I think, you know, you, that, that, that for me is a, a key way of judging a player's success on the field in terms of what he does to your goal difference, what he does to your ability to to, to win points. And I think he's won more than you'd probably expect in the first year of a player who's just alive for free. And, you know, if he struggles moving forward even more than he has already done in terms of getting on the field, you know, you've only got him for two years and then you can, you can reassess then. So... I'm not sure about success, but certainly not a failure for me. I'm not sure about you, Dave. Yeah, I, um, I'm definitely more towards success than failure, without doubt. In fact, uh, I can understand totally what, what he's saying about the uh, the comments regarding fitness because he has missed a fair few games. I actually got a little bit of stick for putting that out at the start of the year, but, you know, it's the truth. I haven't got to hand on when he's missed, but he does, he does miss a lot of matches. But this is really what I expected based on his injury record when he first came in. Uh, and I think it's one of the reasons Everton were able to sign him because I think a fully fit and available James Rodriguez week in, week out plays at a much higher level because I do think he, he he's that good, in my opinion anyway. Um, so I think one of the reasons Everton were able to, to land him was was because he's not going to be that player he's going to be available every week. Um, but I mean, if you have a look at his actual input to the side this season you know across all competitions five goals seven assists um and i'm pretty sure last time checked he ranks top in terms of shot creating actions per 90 in the premier league so you know you could could make a case that in many ways he's everton's most creative player um and that that influence of you know directly contributing to 12 goals you've injected that into the side this season with not a lot of time on the pitch in comparison to other players, at least anyway. So I actually think he's been a, a really... You know what, the more I think about it, I actually think he has been a pretty successful signing. You know, if you consider that, that bear in mind he hasn't been available week in, week out, he's still contributed uh, directly to 12 goals, either five, he scored himself or seven assists. I think that's a pretty, pretty good return and exactly what Everton were after last summer. You know, someone who adds to the, uh, to the goal difference. Yeah, and you know that doesn't consider the you know the, the odd little pre-assist that he might have posted. Uh, you know, I'm thinking specifically early on again, but the um, the switches of play that he was offering towards the likes of Luca Dean and Richarlison, those switches of play didn't always directly result in a goal, but they they might have resulted in a cross, and then that cross delivered the goal. So mm-hmm. I've got those numbers to hand, but specifically in terms of the threat that he's offered in certain games without actually registering a goal involvement. His, his threat has always been really high and he's just one of those who just makes differences with um with the, the actions that he makes on the ball. He just does stuff that matters. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, he has got, I'd say, at least maybe four of those second assists, you know, the pass before the pass. And they split opinions, but I think they're worth measuring myself. I think there's definitely value behind them. Um, yeah. Josh, I don't know if you want to maybe take it. it so it, it, he's actually asked the second question. I don't know if you maybe want to run through it. Um well, I've, I can see that he's uh, he's praised one of your pieces, Dave, so I'll read. I'll, I'll let you read, Ray. 
<laughs> yeah, like any any excuse for me to do that, to be honest. <laughs> no, yeah, yeah. As I said, it's someone I, yeah, exactly, yeah. Um, no, it's someone I've spoken to a little bit actually. So we, every now and again, if I pull a peach, peach, uh, piece out, he'll reach out, which is you know, always nice. Uh, but yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd pull a piece out early in the week in the Echo just for multiple, you know, a couple targets I could potentially pursue. Uh, I talk about the, the kind of right wing back, right right wing area. I said. Um, that you know, Baku might be a really good, really good option for Everton, uh, just because obviously he's a he's a player who can can play at right back, uh, who can play uh, right wing, contributes a lot in terms of you know uh, goals, assists, and just just having a really good campaign. But that kind of opened the door for for him to to put a few of his own his own suggestions forward. Um, and he he asked what were our thoughts on. I'm pretty sure the pronunciation is Selic, uh, even though he's Turkish. Um, at is it is it Leon? I think uh, Leal. Sorry, Leal. Yeah. Um, who he said he really rated. Now, Josh, just before like briefly speak on, speak about him, I, I, was he on your radar at all? Yeah, he's a player I'm aware of. I think in the past when I've been asked to do the odd little piece on. You know, recommending a player for a certain club. I think he's he's come up a few times for me. I think specifically in relation to Spurs, maybe I recall recommending him as a Spurs suggestion when he were in need of a fullback. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, I don't know too much about him, but no. I am certainly aware of him. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, uh, I'm similar both. So I saw some of him against Ajax in the Europa League. Um, one thing I will say though, Josh, I had a quick look after it was recommended in the. Uh, Underlying numbers didn't blow me away. Fairly average in terms of like success rate in duels, both on the floor and in the air, and hasn't created a ton uh, in terms, you know, like uh, goals and assists. I think there was only maybe the one goal and two assists, something like that. Um, pretty sure he's about how old is he now? Uh, yeah, he's twenty four. So still not a bad age, but I, I think there's better better candidates out there. Um, and uh, you know, Riddle Baku, who I talked about. Um, I think he is one. For those who don't know, who maybe missed the piece, obviously he, he plays for Wolfsburg. Um, he's only 22, and he originally started out as a like a central midfielder. Um, but he got moved by mind to almost like right back. Um, and now he's floating, and then he, he performed so well there last last season that Wolfsburg ended up making a move in the summer. Brought him in, he's performing really well again. He, he fluctuates between right back and right wing, which I think is is good for Everton at the moment because they're kind of weak in both of those positions. There's only Rodriguez, who's that kind of natural, who's sorry, who's the player who, who plays on the right wing, but he's not a natural right winger, is he, Rodriguez? He's more of like a you know a floating number ten type. Um, so I think if you're still going to have someone like Coleman in the squad then having a player who can play right back, but then maybe go right wing if you need more of a penetrative threat from that position and bringing Coleman in right back could work, you know, could just kill two birds with one stone. And then obviously he's got that experience as a central midfielder as well, which is, again, appealing. Um, so, yeah, and, and another player that was mentioned, Josh, um, Anthony Ajax, you know, the right winger. Um, yeah. Another one on your radar or... Yeah, uh, Liverpool faced Ajax twice this season. Um, I, you know what? I actually can't remember if he played both games. 
Um, but he's a player that I'm aware of in terms of being a little bit the next in line when it comes to Ajax. Obviously, they've sold a few of the forwards of late. Uh, Ziyech went to Chelsea and stuff. So he's kind of just another good Ajax pickup by the looks of it. Looks like a good mm. talent. Um, not entirely sure on his age. I'll double check that now, but I'm pretty sure he's young. Yeah, um, either 20 or 21. Yeah, 21 just turned February. 21, yeah. Yeah, but I think I do think Everton should be in the market for some sort of forward this this summer. Um, even if it's just, you know, right wing, left wing, whatever, just some sort of forward who's going to deliver output and going to gonna help out Calvert-Lewin and Richarlis, not the business end of the pitch. And I think he's on his way. I think maybe Everton can target someone who's a bit more established and a bit more mm-hmm. able to deliver in the short term, while also having that long term potential, I think Anthony is um, clearly a long term star. But in terms of the the short term aspects of it, he might be one that you've got to be a bit patient with. And I think in the Premier League, especially, there's there's kind of always that demand to to immediately offer something, regardless of your long long term potential. Yeah, yeah, really good point. And I think that that that's worth. Keeping in mind when talking about another suggestion, which was Alexander Barr, uh, who's a you know, right back for Slavia Prague. Um, another one who I, I'd heard about, I know he made a move, uh, I think it was either midway through this season or the last, uh, and he's, he plays for the Danish national team, but um, he's, he's not someone I know a lot about, I'll be honest. Uh, he seems like maybe if he's, if he's only just moved to... Slavia, it makes me think that perhaps he's not quite there yet um, and probably needs a little bit longer to mature. But I don't know if you've got more insight on him, Josh. No, not not particularly. Um, the, the Slavia Prague players I was previously aware of, obviously I don't watch them very much. So the uh, the Slavia Prague players I was aware of was the, the likes of the lads who went to um, West Ham. Um, you know, Sufal and, and Suchek. So I, th- I think that's the right Prague, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, you're there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's two prizes, and you get confused with them a little bit, but yeah, not 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 too aware of them to be honest, Dave. Yeah, yeah, same. So, uh, just on that back for top you, uh, you seem to be uh, doing the one delivering the uh, the names here that <laughs> potentially catching me and Josh out. But we could pretend that we'd seen them, but the reality is, you need to, you know, you don't want to be putting your neck on the line saying the player is good when you haven't watched him enough. Uh, and he's definitely under that bracket. Um, one one final play he did, he did highlight before we move on. Um, I always murder this pronunciation. Um, Stuttgart's Wam Mange Tuka. Uh, would you say that's about? Would you say that's close, Josh? To be honest, I, thought, I was expecting worse. <laughs> yeah, well, I've delivered worse. You know, you do it with me every every week, and you know what I'm like. But yeah, no. Uh, obviously, Stuttgart plays out on the right. Straight, I can't believe it that he uh, scored 13 goals from right wing back this season, um, which makes me wonder how beneficial the system is at Stuttgart for them. Because for his age, I'm pretty sure there was only uh, across Europe's top five leagues, I think there was only Haaland and ironically Moise Keane who'd, uh, who'd scored more than him for something like 21 and under. Uh, which is which is pretty phenomenal, isn't it? Uh, but he, you know he's got a lot to like. He's a uh, he's you know really good engine, good pace, good technical skill, uh, and he, you know he's a player that looks like he's going to go quite far. Um, maybe maybe it could be a move to the Premier League, but I think 
I saw earlier this week that he, he just signed a new deal with Stuttgart, so that could be a bit of a stumbling block, couldn't it? Yeah, there's a few interesting players at Stuttgart, actually. There's a lad called Nicholas Gonzalez. Um, he's 22 years old. He's a forward playing on the left, I think. Um, and he's only young as well, so he's scoring a few goals and things, so he's one to keep an eye on. But I think in terms of one man, good to see you again. No, yeah, he's, he's suffered a big injury, you know. He's, he's currently out injured with a cruciate. Yeah, well, that's sorry. That I should have flagged that as well. And to be fair to the... Uh... The person who brought the question in, they did say he's recently just suffered the ACL. Yeah, yeah, that's. I mean, that's in, in terms of a summer transfer, that's obviously going to be a problem. That, in fact, I'd go as far as saying there's no chance you're getting him this summer. There's no chance he's yeah. on anyone's list because, you know, even when a player's due to come back in October, it's it's still too much of a big injury to immediately dedicate a transfer fee to. You know, as he's coming back or just after he's came back, you almost want to get another season out of him after this injury. See if it's affected him. See if he suffers reoccurring problems. Um, yeah. But as a talent, obviously he's only twenty-one years old, having a good season and stuff. So, yeah, he's one to keep an eye on, definitely. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, you know, fingers crossed for them when does come back. Um, but we'll move on anyway because, yeah, we've still got a fair few questions to get through. So uh, go ahead, Josh. So this is from Tom Newton, 89. Um, and he says, if Everton were to sign a right-back, centre-mid and winger, how would you guys rate the following players as potential targets? So for right-back, we have to rank Max Adams, Tyreek Lamptey and I think it's Leo Dubois. In centre-mid, we have to rate Dennis Zakaria, uh, Babakas Sumare and Yves Basuma. And then winger, we have to rate... I assume that's Leon Bailey, um, Moussa Diaby, and I assume that's Ismail Assar. Mm. So, Dave, I'll let you start. We'll go with the right-backs first, eh? Yeah, OK, then. Um, tough one, you know, but I'd... Really I'd tough prob- one, yeah. Yeah, it's... I'd probably go with... And you could ask me maybe on a different day and I'd go a different, a different way, but I think I'm going to go with, in this order... Uh, is the, the issue I have just right I like Lamptey and I think he's done really well but I just still have this problem of uh, of his, the thing that everyone's always talking about just size a little bit and things but uh, I'm going to go Lamptey Aaron's Duvois uh, just because I think the other two potentially have a higher ceiling okay I think for me Dubois is obviously the player I've watched the least because he's playing outside of England. But having said that, looking at his numbers, his numbers are actually the most appealing. His numbers look really good across the board. Mm. Um, I'm pretty sure as well he's 24, so he's probably more primed to deliver right now. So, I mean, that's a bit of a naive take, I suppose, purely based on his age. I mean, I'm not really sure, but given his age, he's closer to what, what is usually a player's prime. But his numbers look really good. 
Um, in terms of the three, though, I think Lamptey is the most appealing for me. If I could have a right back in my team, I'd probably take Lamptey the most. I just think he's such a threat, despite the fact he's clearly you know a right back, right wing back, whatever you want to call it. You know the threat that he offers from defence. It is really valuable if you've got if you've got threatening players all over the pitch. Like if you think of some players who get on the ball and you just feel safe when they're in possession because they're not going to hurt you. The more players you sign that make you feel threatened, you know the more it just affects everything. The more threatened you are on a pitch. So, um, I'd probably rank Lamptey the highest. But obviously the thing with that, I obviously have to flag that um, he's suffering from injuries at the minute. Quite an ongoing hamstring injury and. To be honest, it reminds me a little bit of Michael Owen. You know, the, the absolute burst of pace and the hamstrings Michael Owen had to suffer eventually. And it just took pace away from him. So it remains to be seen what's going to happen with Lamsey. But I think in terms of potential, Lamsey's probably top for me. Um, and I think I'd have Dubois in second, you know, and then Max Adams. But having said that, you know, the, the, the three decent players there, I think if Everton was a target any of those three, you'd probably look at an upgrade. Yeah, yeah, you ha- you're kind of happy with... Any of the three, really? Yeah, I think the yeah. I think the good names, and I'll let you you go first on this these midfield three and read them out. But yeah, I think uh, I think every name he's put forward is, it does give you a little bit of a headache. In terms of the midfielders, I think I'd go Basuma, Zachariah, Sumari. <laughs> yeah, yours is different then. No, no, it isn't. It, it's. Uh, I I I I go first just because um he's a player that we've both looked at a lot. I think we actually did a podcast on him alone, didn't we? Uh about a month ago. Um This this seems like a bit of a, a boring shout as well, but another thing you have to throw in there, he's proven in England. Yeah, I've got... <laughs> it, 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 it does usually add a bit of tax, but at the same time it is definitely a thing, you know, that, that translatable quality to a different league. And, you know, we've seen that happen with various players over the years. And one thing with these Basuma is obviously he's established in the Premier League now. Yeah, that was that literally the uh, same thing. And I remember there being quite a bit of negativity around that line um, in like the analyst, analytical scene, I should say. Uh, but yeah, it, it, it feels like a thing for me. You know, you know that the player is already adjusted to the Premier League and the pace of it and to still be performing so well uh, when doing so is, you know, it's really appealing. Uh, honestly, I'll, I'll be honest, it sounds like a bit of a cop-out. The other two, it could could go either either way for me. Maybe, maybe Zachary more just because I think I, I well, I like, I like Leverkusen, I think that, oh no, with Gladbach, isn't it? Sorry, I think, Gladbach, I think yeah. that a, I think they're a, a good side. They've been well coached under Rose, who obviously is going to Dortmund. Uh, yeah, I'm going to I'm going to side with them just about. I think on this one as well, you also have to kind of flag what you want from your centre mid. Like obviously, Basuma is quite an all rounder, so it's it's a little bit redundant what you need in from his perspective. But I think in terms of Zachariah and Sumari, I do think this they offer slightly different perks. Like I think. From a basic perspective, I think Zachariah is better without the ball, and I think Sumari is better on the ball, a um, bit more progressive and stuff from the last time I checked. So, you know, depends on what Ancelotti wants, I suppose, depends on how he's looking to build this system and the kind of qualities that he needs in the middle of the park. Mm. I suppose, you know, with that in mind, you consider you've got 
a midfielder who finally might be coming back in. Um, Gabamin, and you know what? What? What's his skill set? What he's? What is he going to bring to the side? Then you've got Alan in there, who's obviously a better player without the ball. So do you opt to go with the player who's a little bit tidier on it? You know, do it. Yeah, you're right. Just things to consider. Yeah, and then uh, in terms of the final three, Dave, you can take this one first. We've got Leon Bailey, Musa um, Diaby, and Ismail Assar. Yeah, you know, this, I don't know if this would be a surprise to you, but I'd probably go uh, Bailey Diaby Sar. Um, because I do like the Arby's between him and Bailey for me. I, I also like Saar. It's a player that we looked at a lot, uh, but he's gone down to the championship this year, Saar, and last time I looked, he was doing okay, but he wasn't... It, it didn't look to me like he was... He was, you know, a st- It's not like, say, um, you've got a uh, thingy at Norwich. Oh, what's his name? It's, let me mind. Um, gee, I help me out here, Josh. Uh, Cantwell or Brendier? Ben Brendier, yeah, thank you. Got Brendier, who's gone back down there and, and continues to perform at a really high level, standing out. And I'm, I'm not sure I've, I've seen that from Saar, so I, I'd still like to see a little bit more of him. I think he's still quite raw. I thought Bailey, you know, kind of burst onto the scene. He went off the pace a little bit for the year or so. Um, had some problems, but then he's looked really good again. So. I'm probably leaning more towards Bailey, but it, it could be a uh, coin toss between him and the RB for me personally. Yeah, difficult one. This I think I think I'd probably have the RB top, and I don't really have much of a preference regarding Bailey and Sa. I understand what you're saying regarding, um, you know, Bailey having a bit of a dip. That was that was in my head to be honest, because he, as you say, he did based onto the scene as as a 19 year old, but. And he didn't kind of live up to that. Like he, you know, as a nineteen-year-old, he scored nine goals in the Bundesliga, and since he's he's only just just breached six for the first time, despite playing three seasons since, and that's sixes this season. Um, but in terms of Sa, I always I've always felt with Sa, he's, he's just a really rough diamond, and the the issue with him, although he's got a high ceiling, the issue with him is the amount of work I think he would need behind the scenes, the amount of help and training to 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 get to a level that you want him to get to. Um mm. again, again no, he's he's definitely a big threat and he's the type of player who's difficult to defend against. Very fast, lots of stamina. Um quite a cool finish as well in certain moments, but I think he's usually deployed as a bit of a traditional winger, isn't he, where he puts crosses in and stuff. Mm. Um last time I checked on how he was doing in the championship was around maybe Christmas time and he was just doing okay. He was blending in with the rest of the league, which, as you say, isn't a great thing for a player who's supposed to have all this potential. But, yeah, I haven't really got much of an opinion on, on those two in terms of yeah. you know, who I prefer. Yeah, just uh, just on, on the Bailey thing, dead quickly. Um, yeah, he scored six league goals. Uh, but if you throw in the, uh, the Europa League and, and I think the, the domestic cup over there, it does go up to 12, so 12 goals and six assists, um, which is a little bit more like what you'd expect. And I think what I really like is, um, you know, and to be fair, I know the Arby does this as well. He, he can play on either side. I think the Arby predominantly plays out on the left, doesn't he? But I think from what I've seen of Bailey this year is he's kind of going from left to right, right to left, and also doing, you know, stints up front as well. And, 
just in terms of Everton's profile where they're kind of lacking. You you actually touched on it before. You know, they're lacking that kind of uh, attacking force, you know, that player who can just influence the attack and play in different ways. And Everton haven't really got a settled formation or identity. I think it's good to have maybe a versatile attacker. Um, so that's maybe why I'm tipping it towards him. Yeah. Um, so I think this lad's got a second question, Dave. Am I right in saying that, yeah? Uh yes, that's correct, mate. Yeah, correct. So he says, going forward, what do you think Everton will benefit more from? Ancelotti continuing to adapt style slash tactics game to game, or settling on a preferred style slash system and buying players for that model? I'm torn because he's done a number of a number on the likes of Klopp and Bielsa with his tactical experience, but changing so often makes it difficult to build partnerships on the pitch. Thoughts? Yeah, fairly brief answer from me. To be honest, I think uh, my preference is to have a you know a settled uh, system or style in place. Obviously, with the capacity to adapt when required, because I think that's important. You know, to adapt to your opposition strengths or to expose the weaknesses. Maybe if the game plan changes as well, you might fall behind. All these little little things, but. I just think it's really important that you do have this kind of settled structure. And when I think of the most successful sides over the last few years, you know, we, we use Liverpool as the example because we obviously look at them most away from away from Everton. Um, you, know, you, you, you can kind of, in a nutshell, explain what their formation will be, you know, behaviours on the ball and things. And I think it's uh, I think it is important. Yeah. No, I think I think I'm in, in agreement there. When it comes to this sort of stuff, I, I will always side with having some form of identity. And I think when it comes to, you know, what the lads mentioned there, I don't, for me, it's not, it's not either or. For, for me, it's, it's both. But despite having both, the crux of everything that you do should still tie in with, with what you are as a team. Um, and every decision that you, because if, if you have that, every decision that you make on a pitch is kind of done in conjunction with, what our identity is as a team. Like, obviously, you know, you see certain teams across across Europe's top five leagues and stuff, and everything that they do is it, it stems from what their identity is, and they might be able to adapt game to game when it comes to, you know, say, for example, a formation or um, targeting a specific player or, or moving a player from his usual role to a different role. But whatever those changes are, that happen, you know, match to match. The identity is still always in place. Um, the principles of play never really change. And I think if there's one thing Everton have lacked, to be honest, over the years, it it's that. And I think in the past few years they've had a bit of a bit of a Man United problem in terms of when Man United got rid of Ferguson or when Ferguson got rid of United. Um, you know, they they went to David Moyes, then he went to Van Hal, then he went to Mourinho. Three completely different playing styles, uh, without a director of football in place to kind of mould all them together. And Everton have obviously had uh, Ronald Koeman, they've had Marco Silva, and they've got Carlo Ancelotti, each of which has a different perspective on how the game should be played and stuff. Um, and it just doesn't really, it just doesn't really work well over a long period of time. Um, so I think Everton would benefit a lot from having that sort of thing in place. Yeah, I think that answer was a really good segue to the next question we've got uh, of Matt Doyle. Uh, it says, 
Everton have quite a low possession average this season. Uh, we know from the Martinez days that having lots of the ball doesn't equal success. But should we be pushing to dominate the ball more like the top sides do? Um, again, you know, not to keep it too brief, but I think it, it, possession definitely isn't the be-all and end-all. But I think everybody knows that now. You know, there's loads of sides who perform really well without focusing too much on possession. But, you know, as Guardiola famously said, I think if you have the, the ball, your opponent can't score. And if you look at the 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 kind of top sides across the league or, you know, just the, the big clubs, shall we say, all of them tend to have this philosophy that does uh, incorporate dominating the ball and kind of pushing high up the field, dominating territory and things. And I, I, I personally, Josh, I think it's hard, isn't it, with without having the best players to always implement it. But it does feel like it's a, it is a key staple to be the side who look after the ball more. Yeah, difficult one to answer, to be honest, because, you know, as you say, it, it is kind of like... The, the optimal approach really in football is is about dominance and you know dominance usually involves territorial dominance dominance of the ball dominance of the shot count and dominance of the ball isn't an absolute necessity but you know as that comes into it you you are reliant on the the, the quality of your of your players to be able to do that and the more you kind of impose those instructions on players who essentially aren't good enough the more mistakes tend to materialize and stuff so um it's it's not ma- massively a problem if you're having a low possession average or whatever but i do think that generally the better teams have have more of the ball and there's a reason why they do better in the league because they've got more stuff on to control the balls further away from their goal they face fewer shots usually take more shots and although Everton don't necessarily have the best players or whatever, I don't think Everton's squad and Everton as a club are that, are that far from, say, a, a Spurs when Pochettino took charge. And Pochettino established dominance at Spurs. You know, they were dominating the game, really intense, lots of shots, ball, all the match taking place in the opponent's half. And I do think if Everton get a, the right foundations in place, the right players on board and stuff, I don't think it's out the question. I don't think Everton like a, you know, a, I don't know, Palace or something like that. We're just going to get poached all the time and can't really afford to pay above thirty million for a player. I think Everton have got quite a high ceiling if the um, if he starts adopting this sort of stuff. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Yeah, so Jack McGovern, he says... Which has been the most effective for us this season? Two strikers or a lone striker with three attacking behind? Let you go first, mate. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that was a really tough question, by the way. And I do know Jack, so I'm not happy with him when I hit that one because uh, <laughs> I think it's just quite hard to quantify, isn't it? Um, you know, Everton actually haven't played uh, a ton with three attacking behinds. I, I, 
I get the impression he maybe means a four-two-three-one there, but predominantly Everton have kind of. I think they fluctuated between like a. Oh well, I should really bring it up here because uh, I was having a nose this morning. I think uh, let's have a quick gander. Yeah, so the Everton's. Oh no, okay, yeah, it's fair points. Yeah. I think what he means by the one is, uh, you know, like a four-three-three with the with kind of the one striker through the middle, uh, and then a four-two-three-one. I think I, I, hopefully, I'm not putting words in his mouth there, but um, yeah, but between the two, uh, uh, it seems like if you the I've noticed the xG uh, and things like shots generated are much higher uh, playing a four-three-three than a four-two-three-one. Which is interesting. Now I'm not. You have to consider things like um, the quality of the opposition. You know, I haven't played four three three against sides that they, they should be dominating, and therefore feel a bit more comfortable. And that's obviously how they get the better numbers. Um, that could be a factor. But yeah, I did notice that four three three versus four two three one. Everton's xG and shots were better than four three three. But yeah. You know, in, in, on the two up top points, I think you've got two really good forwards in Richards and Calvert-Lewin to play that philosophy. So, yeah, uh, tough question. I don't know what you think, Josh. I don't know if you can maybe answer it a bit more clearer. It's a difficult one to answer because um, I think, you know, Everton, Everton have struggled more than any other team. More, well, more than not any other team, more than most teams this season when it comes to having the same start in 11 every week. So, I, th- I, I always think, I'm a firm believer that, you know, you your tactical shape, whatever you're using, has to be a product of the the qualities and the skills that you've got at your disposal on on that day or whatever. Um, so I haven't using two strikers on a certain day could stem from you know a certain player like James Rodriguez in particular not being available. Um, so yeah, it's a difficult one to answer. I think it, it, it whatever the most effective system will be will just depend on the players that you've got available. To be honest, for me, it's, yeah. it's a tricky one. Yeah, no, I can uh, I can see the reasoning behind the question. It's it's not necessarily a bad question. It's just yeah, dead, really difficult to difficult to answer that one. Um, Toffees three uh, at Toffees three, I should say. Uh, do you agree with the trend of having a left-footed centre back? If yes, who would you add to our squad? Um, it's kind of a two-part of that, Josh. So just just firstly on on the first part of the question do you agree with the trends of having a left-footed centre-back if possible I can see why it's a thing and I'm not and I'm not against it by any means but I don't think it's I don't think it's massive I think it's just if you can get a, a two good centre-backs one of whom is, is comfortable on the left I don't really think it matters that much like I'm, I'm thinking specifically you know apologies you know I am a Liverpool fan but I'm thinking specifically we have Virgil van Dijk as our left-sided centre-back, he's not left-footed. I think it's been quite a while. Well, it feels like quite a while since Liverpool have had a left-footed centre-back playing on the left of our centre-back pairing. And the reason it's not really an issue for us is because Van Dijk offers lots of distribution perks outside of his preferred foot. You know, you think of those those cross-field diagonal balls that allow Liverpool to escape a press and stuff, and the balls over the top that allow Liverpool to exploit uh, spacing behind and things. So I think rather than Everton looking for a specifically left-footed player, which is nice, you know, I think it should be factored in. But I, th- I just think general ability 
in distribution is going to help more than a player's preferred foot. Like, say, for example, if you've got a left-footed player there and a right-footed player, both centre-backs, but the right-footed player is just better on the ball. Um, I, I don't think it then makes sense to target the left-footed player because he's left-footed. See what I mean? Mm. It's quite a bit of a simple answer, I suppose, but I just think you should prioritise quality over the preferred foot. Yeah, no, it's fair, yeah, because uh, you use Liverpool as an example. There's, there's other high-profile examples as well. Uh, United, you know, Harry Maguire, is, uh, he plays yeah. almost exclusively on the left. I think he did for Leicester as well, and he's he's right-footed. Um, and although he seems to get a bit of stick, he clearly is a good defender. I think he just gets to stick off that, the reputation of the transfer fee, doesn't he? Um, but, I you think- know... It, I think over at Arsenal as well, I think one, one thing Arteta did very very early on when he took over at Arsenal was sign a left-footed centre-back. Like, it was right near the top of the priority list. And he got in um, Pablo Mari. And he's done okay since, but by no means is he, is he an established starter. I think he's on the bench more than he actually plays. Very weird signing for Arsenal to make at the time. Um, and just feels like a bit of a waste of money, a bit of a waste of time, to be honest, because... Quality-wise, there's better players than him in the squad. So, despite him being left-footed, he doesn't play that often. And you've got maybe Gabriel in front of him. I'm not sure if Gabriel is left-footed anyway, to be honest, actually. But, yeah, um, he, he is, but your point still stands. You know, yeah, it's, it's I think what I'm getting at is... Yeah, yeah what I'm getting at is the, you know, the quality comes first, basically. Yeah. If, um, not to put you on the spot, and I've got two off the top of my head, just because I... Well, I've... I've, I've I put a piece together on them both this week um, for one of our publications. But any anyone stand out left footed centre backs off the top of your head? As I said, I'm cheating you... a little bit because I wrote I wrote about a couple. Yeah, I'll let you wheel off a few. I'm gonna have a quick check now just to just to double check that these players are left footed. <laughs> yeah, no, it's a yeah. yeah. Weirdly, it's not something that you you, you only really. <laughs> It's not something you look out for on the surface, is it? You only really find that information out once you start actually scouting the player. But, um, yeah, you know, in terms of maybe wanting to add to the squad, you've got Sven Botman, um, who's obviously under-21 Netherlands international. Um, yeah, we, I feel like we've talked about him before. Have we talked about him on other shows? I'm sure we have, Josh. But, uh, yeah, he's playing for Lille, obviously doing really well. He's, he, you know... Really big. I think he's about six foot four, strong in the air, decent in the floor, uh, decent on the floor, I should say. You know, he's a left footer. Uh, you got Paul Torres as well uh, at Villarreal. He's been recently linked with Manchester United. Uh, he's another who's, who's who's a really big size. He's really good on the ball. I think that's actually why United are maybe target targeting him because you know they want to implement this possession game, but. They're two names that, off the top of my head, uh, and our left-footed centre-backs who are probably going to get uh, big moves in the summer. Yeah, bottom one was one of my shouts, wasn't he? When we looked for Liverpool centre-backs in November, I think. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, yeah it was, yeah. Uh, but yeah, it's it's difficult because obviously you've got left-footed players there, but it's it's whether they're actually ready to compete every week in the Premier League. Like... Um, Zagadu comes to mind at, at, at Dortmund, but he's only 21. Um, I think Southampton got in Salasu from, um, I can't remember who, who exactly they got him from. I think it was in the French League. 
Um, he's left-footed, but again, you could have, I, see, I watched him the other week, good play, clearly got a bit of speed about him for the centre-back and stuff, but made a few errors and, and, and kind of cost the game. They, David Carmo's an assistant shout, actually. I think he's another one, though, who's just suffered a bad, bad injury, but he's playing in, in, in the Portuguese league for Braga, um, left-footed, 21 years old, and he's a, he's a big lad. I'm a, yeah, about six foot five, actually. Um, wow. I thought that was yeah. big. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so he he's an interesting little shout, like considering like the team he plays for and what you could probably get him for and stuff. So mm. yeah, I think Everton needs to think like that, really. Don't you need to think outside the box a little bit? Definitely. Um I believe it's you, Josh, uh, with the next question. And there's actually a few of this person. Right, so he says, um, what is the priority signing? position and player just as blunt as that so I'll let you go first Dave yeah cheers Adam um, I think we've, we've we've already alluded to it haven't we uh, but I'd say right back uh, and a forward it, it definitely happens priority this year you know you, you could maybe look at the midfield as well but if you're just looking at two positions um, I think a right back and some form of attacker slash striker is, is crucial um, and we've already touched on a few names, I think, haven't we, already uh, at the top of the show? Uh, someone else who I, I wrote about from an Everton perspective this week, just because he's uh, he's kind of, I don't know, he's getting a little bit of traction at uh, PSV is Danielle Malin. Um, in fact, Josh, I'm pretty sure he's been linked with Liverpool recently. Don't know if there's anything in it. But uh, another, you know, decent attacker who's, who's putting up really big numbers in the era of the and you know, maybe could come to the Premier League and adapt and, and do well. Yeah, I haven't actually seen that link, actually. Um, but he's a player I'm aware of. And one issue with him, I think I'm aware of his agents. <laughs> I think his agents are Riola, isn't he? Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh. I then again, so. Everton haven't got the worst relationship with Riola. Uh, I'm pretty sure we've had one or two of his players in the past. Maybe like Lukaku might have been his agent, or still is. And... Um, we, we it felt like everyone were kind of schmoozing him at one point, and just seeing it as you no know, like better the devil you know, and you'll still get good players who may only be with you for a couple of years, but will improve the team. I don't know if that's still happening, but yeah, it's uh, it does feel like we've we dealt with him in the past. Yeah, I think with Everton, one issue you know that you mentioned there, I don't think they take enough shots. <laughs> I think it's quite, it's quite a, it's quite a basic a basic thing, but they don't choose enough. And I'm not sure where they rank in the table now for shots per match. But last time I checked, I think it was below fifteenth for shots per match. And you know that you, you need to up your shot count really if you want to get probability on your side a little bit more and and become more likely to win games. Because if you're shooting below ten times a game and the team you're facing are shooting around fifteen times or whatever, or you know above ten or something. It just puts things a little bit more in doubt. Um, and just looking very basic check, using stats bombs numbers, uh, shot-creating actions per 90 this season, just looking at players who are just um, shot-volume merchants, basically, whether that be shooting themselves or creating for others and stuff, and just reading off a few of the names. Christopher and Conku's right up there. Um yeah, there's, there's, there's the lad at Lille um, kind of based on the scene this season, really. Yusuf Yazi, oh, yeah, yeah. Yazi, Turkish lad. 
Mm. Um, I think Good Memphis Depay. That name, that makes... <laughs> yeah, I think <laughs> Me- I think Memphis Depay is an interesting show considering he's. I think he's had a contract this summer, uh, which right. no one seems to be talking about. Um, how old is Depay now? He's like he's been around for it. He's still only twenty-seven. Just turned. Yeah, yeah, he was born the same year as me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, just I don't know, just a, a player like that for Everton, some someone who's just got a bit of output about them. So I, I'm not sure if it has to be. Well, I don't think it has to be now at all. I don't think don't think it should be a striker because they've got Calvert Lewin there, who's quite established now, and obviously Richarlison can play there. So I think Everton just needs some sort of versatile forward who just naturally delivers goals and assists and shots and key passes and just all that sort of stuff. I think they were linked with um ah what's his name? The Red Bremen lad last year. Mm. Kosovan. Oh. oh I don't remember I don't remember that. Or it might have been me linking it with linking these with them. <laughs> oh you were uh, saying yeah Everton needs Everton needs to sign them. <laughs> yeah I think I think we did like a bit of a transfer pod and I mentioned him as a name. I think he's fell off the, the radar a little bit this season. Can't remember his name. I'll, I'll get it up in a sec but just a player like that who's going to just basically make a difference at the business end. A bit like Hamas Rodriguez does, but younger, more versatile, more mobile, that sort of stuff. Mm, yeah, yeah, I agree. Um, on Calvert Loom, by the way, you mentioned his name then. Uh, Adam's asked, how good is Dominic Calvert Loom versus Everton's all the best PL strikers, namely Yakubu and Lukaku? And do we think it's a one off or set to continue? Um, uh, quite difficult probably to answer the stuff on Yakubu. Um, it feels like he was he was obviously before the analytical boom, I guess, <laughs> where you could kind of measure the same stuff. Um, but I think just just in terms of playing style, I, I think he offers so much more than Yakubu. I think uh, Yakubu could hold the ball up with a fox in the box, uh, quite strong in possession, but. I think if you Calvert-Lewin's game, the way he, you know, kind of makes runs really anywhere in the attacking third, you know, he'll come short, he'll run in behind, he'll run on the flanks. He's he's fantastic in the air. For me, Calvert-Lewin's arguably the best forward in the air at the moment. I don't mean just in terms of headed shots. I just mean putting pumping the ball along, um, him leaping up with defenders and battling for over. I don't know if the numbers back me up, but you know, I think that's in, in terms of playing style, he offers so much more. Um, in terms of whether it continue, one thing I will say is he's still only young, isn't he, Calvert Lewin? Um, but for the last couple of seasons, he has been performing in line with his XG. I don't think he's a fantastic finisher. You know, there's still this perception that he misses a lot of big chances, and it's probably true to be honest. But he does pretty much perform in line with his XG. I think if I bring up the numbers now, um. So from 2018-19, I'm just going to use on the stats numbers. Uh, he had XG of 6.17. He scored six goals. 2019-20, XG of 16-11. He scored 13 goals. So a little bit of an underperformance of three goals there. And then this season, XG of 15, and he scored 14 exclusively. This is the Premier League goals only. Uh, so he's underperformed by, by one. I think overall, Josh, he's netted 22 goals this season uh, for club and country, all competitions. So I'm inclined to think, and maybe you completely disagree and do say so, but I'm, I'm inclined to think he is going to keep continuing to deliver goals in, somewhere in between, in and around whatever his XG is at the time. 
Yeah, I I think he's very valuable player. You know, homegrown English. Obviously, still quite young. I think he's around 23, 24. Um, I think each season now, moving forward, I think he's just going to be one of those strikers who bags between 15 to 20 goals each season. Um, I, I don't think he's got a ceiling as high as Lukaku. I'll be honest, I think Lukaku's a little bit on a different level. Um, but I do think... Calvert-Lewin is, is clearly a very very valuable and very useful striker. Um, one thing I've picked up on though with him, although he's got quite a lot of strengths to his game and he, he can come short and stuff like that, his actual use of the ball, it, it's not that elaborate, is it? it, it, it he's no. quite it, It's very basic actions, very basic, efficient actions. The way like you'll see maybe Harry Kane get on the ball and he'll, he'll switch the play 50 yards or he'll feeds on in behind with a through pass. Calvert-Lewin, in terms of his actual passing and stuff, it is really, really basic. He's, he's, he's quite a traditional striker in that mould, I think. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Just quickly, because I'm, I'm conscious that we might run out of time and we probably need to get through the rest of these questions, but Josh, do you think it's... It, one thing I feel like nobody's really talking about with Calvert-Lewin, and you probably put Richarlison in this as well, Nobody's really talking about the fact that they're going to be huge targets, I think, in the summer for some some big sides. Um, you know, Harlan, we're recording today and it was breaking this morning that Haaland might be going to Barcelona. So say one of the big Premier League sides don't get Haaland in the summer. I think somewhere on the short list, you'll have Calvert-Lewin, maybe one or two names down on the list. And I honestly think... People are sleeping on the fact that Evan could lose him in the summer. I hope not, obviously, but I think there's a lot of hype around him now. So he's not just scoring and performing well. There's also a lot of hype around him. And I think when that happens, it's really hard to kind of keep the keep the other bigger bigger names at bay. Um I don't know if you, you agree or Yeah, I hadn't thought about it much myself, really. I think yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, I feel like the only real threat is Manchester United, I think. Yeah, I, if, if Manchester United don't come and get him, I, although Chelsea, in a way, well, you think they need a striker anyway, I, I still I don't see Chelsea making a move for him. I just I just don't. I don't see City making a move for him at all. Um, so I think it's only Manchester United, and I think they would only do it if they can't get Kane, they can't get Haaland, and... You could argue maybe he'd be third on the list. You know, it's possible. But yeah, I haven't really thought about that one too much. I wonder if Tottenham would try the chances at getting Calvert-Lewin if they lost Kane. That'd be quite interesting. I'd, I'd, I'd yeah. like to think I'd like to think someone wouldn't make that move. Like, although t- Tottenham, even though they've had a bad season, I think, you know, they are a more appealing club, I guess, in some way. Well, I don't know, actually. It, it, that's a tough one. I'm trying to look at this objectively, and maybe I'm looking at it too far the other way uh, in saying that they're more of an appealing proposition. I, but, but I don't, I, I can't see Spurs paying what it will take, even if they get Harry Kane money. You know, if he's sold or whatever, I still mm. can't see Daniel Levy parting with whatever it will take to get Calvert Lewin out of Everton. Because surely, I mean, what's his, how long's his contract? Because I, I can't oh, see. Yeah, he'll be tired for a while. Yeah, I, I can't see him um, 
going for like less than an absolutely stupid figure. And although you've got, although you'll have that money from the Kane sale, you know, if this this is all hypothetical, mm. Daniel Levy is still the type to think, despite us having the money now, I am still getting ripped off there, so I'm not doing it. So I think it's only Man United really is the, is the problem there. Yeah, yeah. Want to watch. Um, I think you've got the next question, Josh, and we'll probably have to be a little bit short with these next questions. Sorry, everyone, but uh, you don't want to run over. So go ahead, Josh. Okay, so the stats numbers show that we've largely performed mediocre across most metrics um, and uh, over-projected positions in the league. Is this down to look a better calibre of player in the moments? Is it tactics? I think we've kind of addressed this on, on a lot of episodes lately. It's difficult, <laughs> to, it's, it's difficult to define as one thing. Um yeah, it's hard. It's it's probably it's an accumulation of things. Like, I do think mm. a, a bit of it stems from, my, you know, my thoughts on it last week was that it, a bit of it stems from Ancelotti's tactics, and that he doesn't he doesn't really risk much. He doesn't expose any of his players, you know, whereby the defender on the halfway line with fifty yards behind him and stuff, or or, or anything like that. Obviously, the profit from set pieces, there has definitely been a bit of luck in there, but that can happen. Um. So, yeah, I'm not really sure. Obviously, a fish and finishing as well. Cavett Lewin's found on that. Uh, it's a weird one. <laughs> it is a weird yeah. one. It, all the numbers do say it's unsustainable and that Everton are a bit worse than, than, than their actual results suggest. But, um, you know, there's, there's loads of loads of influence, influence and factors on this one. It could, it could be a case of Everton changing when they get a lead and things. And, you know, who knows, Dave? Yeah, yeah, that's it. It's uh, it is really tough to ask. There's things like you know the early goals and then sitting back and trying to defend that obviously impacts underlying numbers. But you know if you're um, if you're inclined to if you're on social media, Twitter, and you you like the kind of analysis and you look out for different things that be, people put out, I think it's quite telling that Everton are, are almost exclusively always kind of mid-ranking in every single metric out there um, and a few that ranking like kind of bottom half so yeah it's a it's a very strange one but um, hopefully you know it, it, it is something deeper uh, than what the numbers are telling us um, do you think the style of Cancelotti um, sorry let me start again do you think the style <laughs> of football from uh, Carlo Ancelotti that could be a good little nickname Cancelotti uh, <laughs> do you think the style of football sounds like a, a type of pastor or something <laughs> maybe start saving it a good person if he wins the FA Cup or something next year <laughs> uh, do you think the style of football from Ancelotti uh, will develop as the project continues and Everton bring in better players um, another question that's really hard to answer because if you have a look at Ancelotti's managerial history he's he hasn't really done longer than two years anywhere since leaving Milan. You know, Chelsea two years, Paris Saint-Germain two years, Real Madrid two years, Bayern Munich a year, uh, Napoli two. So we haven't really seen him kind of evolve since his AC Milan days. And I don't know about you, Josh, but whilst we were obviously football fans then, I certainly wasn't watching the game as as we do now. So, yeah, if I'm being honest, I'm a little bit unsure. I'm pretty. I think it will adapt because books have read on them and stuff. It seems like they had a few evolutions there, but um, I, I guess I'm hopeful that it'll it'll improve because it's not always the best at the moment, is it? Even if it is effective. No, I don't. I don't think he has a style. 
to be honest, I think he 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 will always adapt according to the players he's got at his disposal. And if I think he looks at it as you know, if Everton have all their players at their disposal on Monday, nobody's injured, and they're facing you know um, Burnley at Goodison Park, I think he will just play in a more attacking manner, maybe. And I think the following week, if he's got five injuries, and you're facing Manchester United, maybe. I think he will change completely again because the match scenario is different, and I think he's just he's just one of them. Um, whether you're in favour of it or not, I think you always need that to an extent. But I do think in the modern day, you also need that identity to go with it, as we said earlier. So I'm not sure the style of play will will absolutely dramatically improve. Whereby Everton are doing all kinds every week, um, mm. but at the same time, he's got you know he had a pass with Chelsea, didn't he? Whereby you were really, really entertaining and stuff. So yeah, he's a weird, weird, weird manager to pin down to to one specific box. Yeah, yeah, I'd agree uh, with that. So I like this question. Uh, this mm-hmm. says biggest transfer regret under Mishiri. Is it buying Balassi? Is it not buying Zaha? Is it selling Vlasic? Is it buying a Wobi last minute? Missing out on other players. Thoughts on this one, Dave? Yeah, really tough question because I think this could be a podcast in itself, to be honest. Uh, <laughs> you know, maybe in the summer if we, uh, we're a low on ideas, we'll, we'll, we'll do this in more detail. Um, Just off the top of your head, Dave, what year did he take over? Um, I, It was around, I think, maybe 2015. Okay. Uh, but it was kind of, it, it's been split into two parts, like pre-brands and post-brands, if you get me. So... Pre-brands, it was just kind of mayhem where you had like Steve Walsh there and, you know, just blowing money on kind of average names. And then it's tightened up a little bit since uh, Marcel Brands come in. And that, that was about three years ago now. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, 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 I really, sorry, um, um never looked like an amazing signing, but you've got to remember, he, he probably could have contributed stuff if he didn't suffer like a, you know, I think he had an ACL injury, uh, put him out for like a year, and he just never come back the same. Um, Zaha, I didn't think Zaha was a great move at the time, but you could have got him at a better fee. I think he, he would have definitely contributed to this attack and would have been Everton, something Everton needed. Um, <laughs> Vlas, Vlasic looks like he's going to be a really good player. I think Vlasic will come back to Premier League. I'd like it to be Everton, but I don't know if it will be. Uh, Josh, come on, take over. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just laughing because some of the deals are unbelievable, you know. Some of, some of the deals Everton have done over the years, is, I don't know what the thinking has been. It's it's yeah. absolutely shocking, some of it. Um, like the, the the year where Everton bought three number tens was mental. <laughs> so weird. Um, Everton paid fifty million in total for two two what I would label as. Bang average English talents, really, when it comes to Michael Keane and Jordan Pickford. I know Keane's contributed this season. I know he's improving and stuff. He hasn't really been a bad signing. But to just blow 50 million on those two players when they're both just absolutely okay and very little more, mm. it's just mad, isn't it? 45 million on Gilfie Hit Sigurdsson. Um, it's so, so bad. But I do, I do think that um, probably the worst is, is oh, it's difficult, you know. I do think Balassi, <laughs> I do think Balassi's shocking. Though. That that was a terrible sign, and that. I mean, well, I did, it's twenty-six yeah, million yeah. for a player who 
has done nothing throughout his career and arrives at Everton as a 27-year-old from Crystal Palace and since has barely played. It's absolutely yeah. awful, awful deal. Yeah, it wasn't a great deal at the time and it's it's actually gone on to be worse than expectations, uh, expectations which takes some doing, really. Um, yeah, well, we'll quickly move on. Uh, Stephen Kembry asked, uh, could you name the two positions we need to address urgently? I think we did touch on that a little bit earlier, didn't we, with the uh, the right back and, and, and forwards. I think they're the two most important. I don't know if anything different stands out to you, Josh. Or No, I'd, I'd agree there, mate, yeah. Um, yeah, you think you need you need those two positions to be sorted, yeah. Yeah, and there's we we've been asked do we know much on um by Stephen do we know much on how much Evan they're going to be allowed to spend and whether FFP restrictions are relaxed or not. Um, I mean we don't really do we. We don't know about what they'll be allowed to spend and things, but I do think it's an interesting question from a machinery perspective because he obviously seems like the type of owner who isn't really forced by the whole net spend thing, doesn't really appear to want much of a return on his investments. And obviously in past seasons, he's kind of been a little bit hindered by his spending in terms of wanting to bring players to the club, but not being able to sell the same amounts going the other way. Um, so if these FFP things have been lifted a little bit and it's kind of been ab- abolished with almost, he's, he's kind of free to, to spend a bit more than he he has been able to in the past, I suppose, and I'm not sure if that's a good thing or a bad thing, because I think, he, as we've just established before, he is inclined to spend a bit willy-nilly almost. Um, but at the same time, it, it's, it'll be interesting to see if, if any approaches in the Premier League or, or beyond change as a result of, of, of no club having to abide by a, a financial restriction. Yeah, I'm inclined to think it'd probably be good news for Everton, um, but yeah, as long as mistakes from the past have been learned and we don't know if they actually have. Um, but hopefully, you know, it would be nice to have your hands tied a little bit. Um, and the final question, Josh, over to you. Um, I'm not sure I've even got it. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, from, from William, um, why are things such as taking the most shots so important? Surely it's just about who is the most clinical. Right. Um so in terms of taking the most shots, obviously it comes, it will always come back to who puts the shots away. Um, but if you think of what a goal is, you know, a, a goal is just a shot that that finds the net. So the more shots you take, you know, from a bit from a probability perspective, you're just getting the coin flip, if you like, the probability more on your side if you if you're taking more shots than than the opponents, obviously within reason. You know, you can't just start shooting from the halfway line and, and expect that to start, benefit, <laughs> start benefiting you. But I've, I've used the, you know, the basic example of if I was to start playing a game of shooties against Dave and I was to take 20 shots and Dave was to take 10, you know, I would probably win most. And although some of it will come down to me being clinical, it's also just, well, I've got more of a chance of scoring almost because I'm shooting more often. Um, that's kind of the crux of it, really, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, summarised perfectly, really. Can't have much more to that. It's, yeah, you know, <clears throat> if you kind of watch goals, sometimes they can just be a bit, um, 
a bit from nothing or you know you can it can kind of have the fortune of going through defenders legs and stuff and I think if you you're restricting your window of opportunity in terms of like one or two shots leading to a goal compared to ten of those, you know if you're taking like four shots in the box and you're taking six from outside the box, you know those six from outside the box might may obviously just share the defender go well wide or whatever, but you might have that one that you know ends up flying to the top corner. Um, it's just yeah, the the quantity tends to um, convert into more goals. It's a, you know it's a, it's as simple as that really. Um, so I feel like this thing of, well, you know, you're clinical. I don't feel like being clinical is sustainable. And me personally, and actually, I know you'll agree, Josh. It's, I don't think it's, you can be good, like, finishers, and you can't be known as a clinical player. But even the most clinical strikers go through uh, hot and cold spells. Um, so you don't really want to be relying on always running hot because sometimes you will, you will run cold and in the, in those moments you want to have, be able to fall back on a high quantity of shots to you know hopefully get you the goals you need. Um, I guess that's that's it in a nutshell. Yeah, I mean Harry Kane comes to mind. You know, he, I think he's joined top scorer in the Premier League at the minute, and Shock. He's also the player who I think is top of shots per per ninety as well. So he shoots the most often and he's scoring most. And obviously some of that comes down to being clinical, but he's also giving himself the chance to score by by just shooting all the time. Yeah, exactly that. Um yeah, I think that's that's everything. As I said, sorry to anyone who put in a question that we haven't got through. It, it, as I said, I just had a quick look at them. And if there was any that I thought maybe wasn't um most applicable to, to us two to to go through then. Then I just put it to one side, but I, you know, I really appreciate you, you reaching out and sending messages. Um, yeah, and uh, we both do. the The thing is, we uh, I think we're actually now not going to be able to record a podcast for a month or so. We've got some staff holidays and things coming up, so we'll uh, we'll have to put it on the back burner. But as always, you know, thanks for listening, um, and hopefully, you know, in three or four weeks' time, we can. We can bring out some new episodes and, and Everton have kind of given us plenty to discuss and hopefully some good results as well. So, Josh, thank you as always for your time. Yeah, no worries, mate. And uh, thanks for listening, everyone. Take care. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.